Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Minnesota. Kristen Lyerly in OBGYN is on the Fox River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die Hey, folks, it's time to get together with friends up north. Actually, just just one friend. That's all I really deserve today. Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company and the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack joins us from Lake Monaco. Kristen Lyerly will join us in our next hour. How you doing, friend? Good to see you, my friend. I miss you, Pat. I yeah. love this uh, weekly thing we've got going on here. I'm, I'm, I was telling Luke earlier, it's taken me a little bit of time to figure out how to open open the flower as they say it uh, in the morning hours as opposed to our nighttime show <laughs> gotta got bang my head against the wall a few times well, that's, that's why we typically put it at 10 o'clock to give you every possible advantage to get up but uh be, for for reasons behind the scenes uh we're actually doing shows at uh with you at 9 and 10 this morning so I appreciate your willingness to be uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed after what I'm sure was a busy final weekend of the uh, Tap House up in Monaco over the weekend before, like everything else up north, kind of shutting things down for the winter. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the weather gets cruddy. Uh, everybody's uh, battening down the hatches and going back to their first homes as opposed to their second homes. About 50% of the population of Monaco in the summer is from Illinois or Madison or Milwaukee. So um, there's not a whole lot of business to be had up there. So, yeah, we closed everything down. Uh, we're going to be focusing on just selling beer at all the stores in Wisconsin and Minnesota and Illinois. And uh, we're going to be and battling the town so we can uh, have a little bit of a beer garden next uh, next spring. I don't. I, I was going to say I don't know what you'll do if if that parking lot issue gets resolved. I mean, you'll be bored, but I don't doubt that the old boys <laughs> network of Monaco will find something else to keep you occupied. Uh, just because you are the charming person that you are, pollster Jill Normington will be joining us shortly. Um, her clients have included Alex Lazary and Senator Tammy Baldwin, and we'll talk about polling in Wisconsin, uh, the the challenges of doing such, and what people should really keep in mind when we talk about polling uh, in any way shape or form it's you know it's there there's really some some good tips and advice to follow in making choices and kirk speaking of those choices we have spoken frequently and we spent all of the last hour talking about uh, extreme right-wingers those who encourage or participate in insurrections or like Derek van orden or insurrection adjacent as i like to say uh in the last segment we talked about fred pren uh, being what I think can charitably be described as a jerk face and staying on the natural <laughs> resources board, even though his term has expired for real low life reasons that came out in some text messages and all of that, that alone would, would make people like you and me, you know, unhappy, sad, disappointed about, you know, where America's going. But what really rubs salt in the wound is that you and I have I think what can fairly be called many friends who either consistently or most of the time vote Republican who are normal, good, respectful people that we can have some disagreements with, but at no point would they strike you as somebody that would support, I don't know, fascism. And, <laughs> you know, we, we wonder 
where have the moderate Republicans gone? Yeah, uh, I thought about this a lot when I was fig- when you know I I supported a Republican candidate uh, in the primary in for the seventh congressional district uh, because I was like. I don't agree with Republicans, but the or their policies, but the Jerry, but the districts have been gerrymandered so much, and we have such right wing people representing us up here. Uh, Tom Tiffany being one who is part and parcel of the insurrection. Um, that I was like, well, we have to try to find people who are willing to respect our institutions, respect. Um, you know, respect our natural resources and are not just the rubber stamps for like the pollution lobby. So uh, that led me <laughs> to, to, you know, if, if ever I think about something ad nauseum uh, or, or too much, I generally make a, a beer can label out of it. So so we just came out a couple days ago with this thing called the extinct elephant, a moderate red ale. Nice. And uh, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. It's it's for all those moderate Republicans who have been left by their own party uh, because uh, and and the republic or the politicians uh, are no longer moder- moderate because they uh, they do their the bidding of of the of of the of the pollution lobby and whoever's telling them what to do. Robin Voss, but the rank and file, a lot of them are still moderate, and that's what Biden was talking about a couple weeks ago after he got lambasted for being divisive, even though that wasn't the case. There are a lot of moderate Republicans out there, and that's why I made a beer for them. And that was very nice. And and, and again, done with <laughs> done with the right intentions here of trying to, again, as we say often on this program, just encourage more conversations and to let people know that, you know, we want to have their backs. If they want to put country ahead of party, and if they want to feel like you know, there are people who would do the same if the shoe was on the other foot, uh, you know, that, that they've they've got somebody they can hoist an extinct elephant red ale with. <laughs> There's so many opportunities to talk about what we really need to do in Wisconsin. You know, the things that all these all, politicians for 10 years have been talking about, like, except uh, except the uh, Medicaid, <laughs> you know, it's all these old issues that have never been resolved because because the Republican Party refuses to govern. Can you and, just uh, imagine? Can you just imagine how you know where we'd be right now if we could take some of these things off the table after all these years, like the Medicaid expansion and such? I mean, it it it, it boggles the imagination how much more we could be doing. But in the meantime, the only way to get there is for some people to change their habits come election time. And as we try to measure whether people are changing their habits. We need professional pollsters, and one of them, Jill Normington, joins us next, along with Kirk Bankstead. I'm Pat Kreitlow. You're up north. Rudy went to the fortune teller, had my fortune read. I didn't know what to tell her. I had a dizzy feeling in my head. You know, if you don't uh, typically listen when Kirk joins us on Wednesdays at 10 a.m., uh, you know that for his, all the care that he puts into crafting ingredients for his beers, he puts into picking music for his appearances as well. So by choosing the hard times from Fortune Teller, uh, we are ready to talk about polling in Wisconsin. And Kirk, Fortune Teller wanted that to be a subject uh, this week. Uh, I mean, let's let's be honest. It's not telling fortunes. There is a science behind behind polling and and. Uh, uh, Jill is going to tell us all about it, but I wanted to talk about this this week because 
we're seeing one poll after the next uh, from, you know, it's the Republicans have their pollsters and, and they have their media. And so they're saying that, you know, Johnson and Evers are, you know, one percentage point ahead. And then we and then there's pollsters coming out of Marquette and, you know, and, and there's polls everywhere. Every poll in Wisconsin is is almost neck and neck with these two big races. And those are the ones that I'm following with with the Super PAC. So that's the ones I don't know about some of the others, but it just seems to me that uh, every single election season, we have this horse race uh, that and, and that especially in Wisconsin, because we're such a, uh, a purple state. Um, and I, I was like, how much attention should we be paying? And I've written about this. How much attention should we be paying to polls when a lot of the issues being talked about in the polls have been um, you know, have been millions of dollars have been spent to make or to make voters in Wisconsin pay attention to those issues. And so so um, I, I'm so excited to talk to uh, Jill Normington because, you know, she's been doing this in Wisconsin for a long time. Uh, she's uh, on the progressive side. It, look, it seems like I think when you're a pollster, it seems like you have to kind of go to one side or the other at some point. I'm not sure. But Jill, thanks so much for joining us. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your uh, your history and polling in Wisconsin and maybe some of the pitfalls about Wisconsin versus other states uh, in, in how hard it is to poll? Sure. Um, well, I've been uh, a, a pollster for a long time. Um, uh, my first race uh, in Wisconsin um, was where I was not the lead. I was the junior analyst on the race that the senior partner in the firm uh, was working for Jerry Kletchka. So it's been, it's been a while um, <laughs> that I've been, that I've been doing work um, in, in, in Wisconsin. Um, if that name rings bells for people, oh, Jerry yes, hasn't been around for, for a while. Yes, it does. So more than 20 years experience in, in survey research and campaign strategy. Now with Normington Pets and Associates, um, pollster for yeah, I got my name on the door after after That's a while. That's right. As as well it should be. You know, there's again, there's a reason this show's co now called Up North News with Pat Kreitlow, because whoever comes in next, it's going to be really awkward for them to have a show with that that title. But you know, you've had Alex Lazary as a client most recently, Senator Tammy Baldwin. Your uh, clients have included Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois, Angie Craig from Minnesota. So you you have this national experience, but a, a Wisconsin base. And so, you know, to, to uh, Kirk's question, talk to us just a little bit about in this day and age, what is what is the most challenging thing? about trying to gauge public opinion uh, in Wisconsin at this point in time? Um, I, I actually think, Kirk, that you, that you hit the, the nail on the, uh, on the head. The thing that is, you know, the science of why we can call 800 people, you know, to represent millions of people um, is... Uh, it, it's predicated on the idea that the 800 people that you're talking to are representative of the millions of people who, you know, they're, they're literally supposed to represent. Um, and the thing that people talk about the least is that the, the math that is behind polling is actually at its most accurate at the extremes. So what I mean by that is if you get something back and it's an 80-20 kind of proposition, the confidence interval for that is actually higher 
than when you get something back that's at a 50-50 sort of proposition. And uh, we have not been part of very many statewide elections in Wisconsin um, in maybe the last 30 years that weren't pretty close to that 50-50 proposition. So the, the math that undergirds polling um, is actually at its least accurate at the when things are the closest, when they're the closest to 50-50, which is frustrating. Uh, and that's not a Wisconsin problem. It's a it's an everywhere problem, but it's particularly prevalent in Wisconsin where so many races are so close to a 50-50 proposition. So the question I have is, um, I know that I don't, I mean, uh, there's two questions I have. Um, first of all, you know, I'm, I, my business is run on Facebook. Uh, you know, I have, uh, I have an echo chamber, <laughs> you know, where I really, I, I, I don't really want to hear the opposition because I am actually the one creating the content to try to convince people to be more progressive. Uh, and so I have 66,000 people, you know, that are listening to me on Facebook. And I know that, you know, I'm not watching the news as much anymore. I'm looking at my Facebook page and seeing the articles that are coming through. So I know that I'm in a progressive echo chamber. And I can just imagine that uh, uh, people that are, are conservative are in their conservative echo chamber. So when I see that crime and inflation are just as high uh, of issues as uh, shoring up our democracy and um, and pro you know being pro-choice to me that's not necessarily one two three four in order of importance those are the top two issues for progressives is is or at least in my opinion maybe I'm wrong but the top two issues for progressives is saving our democracy and getting women's rights back those are those are the the top two but the top two for conservatives are inflation potentially immigration, and uh, and crime because they've been told that that's important and in their echo chambers so when i see a poll that says these four issues are the top issues i i don't really believe that because i believe that the sample is completely different if you're if, if the first question you ask are you conservative or are you a progressive as soon as that happens these people no longer are representative of everybody right well i mean it progressives and conservatives actually exist in the real world. You can't have a real poll without, you know, some of yeah. each. Otherwise, you're not adequately representing the electorate as well. But, you know, what you're talking about, one of the best examples that I can think of is that um, uh, before 9-11, so very important line of demarcation throughout um, the early part of 2001. You know, we were preparing as as Democrats to have a really good midterm election. Um, and one of the things that we knew was going to be uh, a key issue was the second that George W. Bush came out and said, we're going to reform Social Security. Social Security went from being like a 3% issue for people to being like a 35% issue. Like overnight, the president used his bully pulpit to declare that Social Security reform was an issue that people should care about. And so we do the same thing um, through earned media. We do the same thing through paid advertising that in some ways, 
you know, we tell the voters what the issues are that they should be thinking about the in in very in very specific ways. So I it's not it's not that people don't have other concerns. It's not that they don't say other things. It's not that some people in polls don't say, I really want somebody to uh, to work on public schools, or it's not that people in polls don't say, you know, I really want someone to work on, you know, reducing taxes because those those are always there. But you you are correct in which, you know, when when you see millions of dollars worth of advertising telling you that crime is out of control, it becomes very easy then to repeat back to someone on the on the phone or online that that's an issue that's important to you. So it, it's it's not a it's not a pure question of what the voters themselves bring. Um, it's often a reflection of the environment in which they live. But that's not wrong. Um, they are thinking about those issues. Those issues are important to them, but you're right in, in thinking that maybe it's not the most organic thought that maybe sometimes those thoughts come from, from external sources. You know, when you talk about uh, 9-11, which is now 21 years ago, hard to believe, but the, the changes in technology since then, uh, the, the number of landlines that have gone away yeah, which feels like near hundred <laughs> percent. The the challenge for polling uh, when people have moved on to cell phones and and actually before that it was just caller ID that people could see if it was somebody Absolutely. they they knew or not. So can you take a couple of minutes here and if we have to interrupt you for commercial break we will then we'll get the rest of your response. But over these next three minutes, um, the challenges or or adjustments you've made in the move to cell phones and caller ID. And then if time allows, we'll get into uh, taking polls via the internet as well and, and yep. the differences there. But talk first about how much tougher I would think that it is these days. It's ridiculously more difficult than it used to be. Um, you know, we used to complain about response rates that were in the 20s and talk about the the death of polling because only you know 20 percent of the people would talk to us um we're now in a in a situation where we're talking about less than four percent of the people will talk to us so it is it's ridiculously difficult to have these conversations with people i, I do want to say that um Technology is both a, a blessing and a curse um, when it comes to polling because it allows us to innovate. Uh, the cell phone issue became a problem uh, in the 2008 election cycle um, when, uh, you know, we're talking about maybe one in three households in 2008 were cell phone only. Uh, now we're, it's more like 75, 80% of households are, are mobile phone only. Um, and initially, the kinds of people in 2008 who were cell phone only were very, very different than the overall population. They were really young. Um, they were uh, a lot more uh, progressive than the overall electorate. And part of the reason why, the, and people forget this, the, the biggest polling miss error in, in all of polling was in 2008. Um, but people forget because we got the winner right. 
We just didn't get the winner right by anywhere close to the margin that Barack Obama ended up winning by in many places because cell phones were not really a part of what many pollsters were doing. And so we were missing, but we got the winner right. And so nobody remembers that 2008 was the biggest <laughs> polling miss basically ever. Well, and that's just it. It's not just a matter of picking or, or you know, seeing you know, what comes out on top, a candidate or a response, what have you, you know, but, but also those margins. And like you said, so much of it is built on, you know, finding that right sample size. And so we'll talk more about the, uh, the challenges of that. And we'll get a bit more specific about this year's uh, campaigns and races with pollster Jill Normington. When we come back from this break, you're up North. I've only ever thought that K Sarah Sarah was done by Doris Day. Little did I know until Kirk notified me of this clip this morning that Sly and the Family Stone. Did a version of case or Oscar, whatever well, will be. Somehow, will be. somehow I screwed up. I was on a plane yesterday. Somehow I screwed up. So the good, the good chorus didn't end up in there. But I felt <laughs> with with our awesome pollster Jill Normington joining us for these two segments, we would talk about fortune telling in the first one, and then we would talk about uh, whatever will be will be in the second one. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a much like, cooler version than Doris Day. <laughs> well, you know. Old, old people can agree to disagree on this one. Uh, Jill Normington is a partner with Normington Pets and Associates, a uh, pollster for Senator Tammy Baldwin, and a host of other clients. Uh, we've been, we were talking right before the break about the changes in polling and technology. And Jill, I have uh, in my mind that the, those scenes from the West Wing, where you'd give a State of the Union speech and like a Gallup poll or whatever, you'd have the results like two hours later because you called a bunch of people. They all saw the speech because there was only three channels. Everybody had a landline and you could get a, a thorough poll right away. That's got to sound like a pipe dream to you these days with the, the fractured media and technology. Well, I will say that if you do want to, you know, see what went well for the state of the union, the great thing about that is, you know, when it's going to be. Mm -hmm. So at least you can prepare for it. So you actually can get immediate results from something like the State of the Union because you can plan for it. You can get 200 pre-recruited people in a room and dial test the hell out of that speech. So gotcha. you can actually, that is actually possible, but something happens in the real world and you want to get an immediate reaction. There is no more, you know, two hours uh, for, for that to be there. Um, I, I wish things were, you know, like on the West Wing, because then I'd be Marley Matlin. That's my character on the West Wing. She's the pollster. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's not like that in real, in real life. The, you know, the, I, I think a lot of people think that, um, I, that, you know, we haven't really adapted to the way that real life is anymore. And polling evolves every single cycle um, from the inclusion of cell phones, which I will tell you that 
I don't think I've done a poll in over a decade that wasn't more than 50% cell phones. Um, and nobody really should be doing that anymore either. Otherwise, to, to my earlier point about being representative, it won't be. Uh, but probably the biggest change, the biggest innovation in polling in the last 10 years is the ability to contact people on their mobile phones via text. Um, there are a couple of kind of innovative things out there where you can take the entire survey via text if it's short enough. And what I mean by that is you're, you're pressing one, two, three, four, or yes, no, on your phone to respond to the actual questions. But the thing that's a little bit more common is a solicitation to participate in a survey. Uh, and the solicitation is done via text. Hey, Kirk, you know, do you want to share your opinions about, you know, uh, current events in Wisconsin? Uh, you get a text from there. And if you're any good, you disclose who the, who the, um, calling house or research company is so that the voters can see for themselves that it's a legitimate survey and not, you know, you know, some piece of garbage designed to collect all of their personal information. Um, and then many people are then taking that survey via an online platform. So it's the exact same questions that the people on the phone here read to them, but instead you're reading it for yourself and answering via a web platform. So that's uh, the shorthand for that is, is like SMS to web or text to web. And that is, it is completely changing uh, the way that many pollsters uh, gather information. Um, uh, one of the things that we learned from the 2020 election cycle was that the surveys that use a hybrid methodology, so live phone interviewers, both on, on mobile phones and landlines, combined with some other form of online interviewing, whether that be from an online panel or this SMS to web that I just described, were far more accurate than either one of those methodologies alone. Got it. Okay, so this is going to be a long-winded question, but okay. um, I read this Washington Post article a couple days ago, uh, Perry Bacon, who said what polling is good for and what it's not good for. Uh, what he said it's not good for is calling races in swing states, <laughs> like Wisconsin. Uh, I believe that, uh, you know, I think I read like 538, which is this aggregate of polls that uh, Biden was predicted to win by eight points in Wisconsin in 2020. He won by 20,000 votes. That's less than one point. So uh, in Wisconsin, I think they were off. The pollsters were off in Wisconsin more than almost every other state in the union. Um, maybe that I'm wrong about that, but it's close. So polls shouldn't be used to call the results of swing states. Um, um, and and this is also and they shouldn't be used to uh, decide what's important uh, issues in society. And the reason I say this is my own background is I was a management consultant. I was a marketing management consultant for uh, F Facebook, Google, uh, Microsoft, Oracle before I got into the beer making business. And these these huge companies would hire my firm to to uh, try to figure out what customers wanted in terms of technology. Now. That was the dump that was the hardest job ever because customers don't spend all day thinking like people who use technology don't spend all day thinking about 
what's the next best thing that's going to make my life easier? So when, when we when they hired us to figure this out and we would do panels and surveys and I was young and I didn't know any better and I'm not really a scientist or, uh, you know, a, a pollster. I was like, this is this this job doesn't make any sense. Like we can't tell people we can't ask people what they want. You need to have creative people at these tech companies actually figuring out what people want and then convincing them that they want it. So. So polling doesn't seemingly tell people what the most important issue is. Um, and and uh, on the flip side, uh, seemingly what polling does do, and this is what I read in the article, and, and I'm, I, I'm not telling you this, you know all this, but I wanted your thoughts. What polling does do is tell people when politicians are way off from what the normal person wants. And this was, uh, let's get back like Kansas and, and reproductive rights. Um, we have uh, the the Republican Party, and we have a Supreme Court that has just overturned Roe, uh, and it seems like something like seventy to eighty percent of Americans uh, think that you know, like abortion should not be illegal in all cases, you know, and that's like, and and Kansas, which is one of the most conservative states in the union, they had a vote on this statewide, and they said, you know, that we're not going to make abortion illegal, and. The polling was right on that. So I guess the action, the, the question is, you know, what in your mind should we be focused on as voters in Wisconsin for for what polls should tell us versus what I'd hate is the horse race that, you know, that the politicians use to say I'm winning. So that means I'm, you know, vote for me. I am. Um, I, I had a, a I was I was on a, a panel Honestly, time has no meaning for me anymore, but I think it was a couple of weeks ago talking to um, the Milwaukee Chamber of Commerce um, and it, it, there, it was me and a, and a Republican pollster. And one of the most interesting things to me is that pollsters, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. We, we basically all agree that our product is the most misused product um, in, in all of uh, in all of politics, um, a poll is actually not designed to be a predictive instrument. I'm going to say that like for you again, so that people really understand a poll is not designed to be a predictive instrument and campaigns themselves do not use polls in that way. Polls are um, an information source to make decisions. Uh, that is what they're used for inside of campaigns. Should we be you know, emphasizing this part of who you are or this other part of who you are? Should we be talking more about our our own ideas or should we be contrasting ourselves more with our opponent? Which thing puts us um, in the better uh, position to be successful and win this election? So it, they're, they're misused um, all of the time. And the most important way that polls are misused are exactly in the way in which you're talking about. What I mean by that is we constantly talk about polls in terms of the margin. So there would be a poll that would have Joe Biden ahead 49 to 41. And they would say, oh, that's an eight point Biden victory. Well, it's not because there's a whole bunch of people who haven't made up their mind yet. And you actually have a poll with a whole bunch of information to tell you who those people are. 
I'm going to guess that if you had actually examined the people who are undecided in each one of those polls, you would never have thought to yourself, oh, these people are for sure going to break 50% for Joe Biden and 50% for Donald Trump. You could have seen from who they are, um, what their ideology was, where they live, what they thought about the two candidates. You probably could have predicted how those undecided voters were going to break in a much more accurate fashion. Because I've never been a part of an election where I looked at the undecideds and thought to myself, both candidates are for sure going to divide these undecideds up in half and the margin is going to stay the margin. That's almost never the case. And yet there's a reason there's the reason there's that much data involved is to look well beyond the the, look well beyond the top lines. Absolutely. We are joined by Jill Normington, uh, pollster uh, here uh, for Senator Tammy Baldwin and others. And here's here's one way I, I want to take that that same question. When we talk about a, a purple state or a close race, however you want to phrase it, I always wonder how much of that margin, that deciding margin, is people that we would refer to as actual swing voters, independent, moderate, they are just almost as likely to vote either way. How much of it is that, that those people break one way or the other versus people who lean Democratic or lean Republican who decide not to vote that year? They stay home. Is the difference maker people who could go either way or is the difference maker voters who decide they're not going to participate in this election? Do the numbers give us any insight into that? Um, Composition of the electorate is in many ways um, determinative of outcome. It is one of the reasons why when we have conversations about elections, we have conversations not only about persuading, about taking people who are either undecided or with one candidate and trying to persuade them to change their mind. But we also have huge conversations about uh, turnout um, and how hard you're working to take people who might sit out a midterm election uh, like this one is, who would normally participate in a presidential election. Um, and in a in a state like Wisconsin, at, that, as you said, is often decided by, you know, 20,000 votes, you know, something as simple as, you know, what the weather is like on election day, especially in a place like Wisconsin, where same day registration is like, is a real thing where hundreds of thousands of people who we're not 100% certain, you know, whether they're coming or not, right. um, you know, takes place. Something as simple as that can can swing uh, the uh, the outcome of of an election. So fickle. We're getting to the word fickle. That's that's what we are here in, in Wisconsin and, and, and in other places. Jill, we really appreciate what we've been able to, to learn from you thus far and, you know, really respect what you do. Uh, we really provide uh, or appreciate the background on this. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me and Kirk this morning. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. All right. We will uh, take this break and be back with more after this. You're up north. Look at your smile and I could see the light shining everywhere. People like you don't come out of thin air. I just have you sing these things. You you enjoy the songs so much. Coming up in our next hour. It's because the... 
Yes. It's because it's because this next segment we're going to talk about all these issues coming out of thin air, like critical race theory. And so I just typed in thin air on songs about thin air. And I got Aladdin from Disney, and I was like, "This is amazing." <laughs> Kirk impressed by Google searches. This is coming up in our next hour. Dr. Kristen Lyerly briefly. And then at the bottom of the next hour, state representative Evan Goike. But yeah, uh, things that come out of thin air. We talked a lot about this on yesterday's show about how crime has magically become uh, an issue. The tens of thousands of commercials that have aired as a result. Uh, again, because when you when you have no real solutions, you have to go for fear tactics. And, you know, prior to that, it was critical race theory. And by the way, prior to that, it was late term abortions. But now they know they can't use that issue. And again, when you don't have ideas, you 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 turn to fear. So, yeah, so we just and, and this is what got me thinking about polling uh, a couple weeks ago when I, I kind of write uh, like my weekly essay. And so we had Jill Normington on, who is Alex Lazary's pollster, Tammy Baldwin's pollster. She was in polling in Wisconsin for 20 years. She said her job is her polls are misused by politicians all the time to tell people whether or not they're going to win an election or not, to get more money uh, for their campaigns, you know, to get to get more volunteers. They're misused. They shouldn't be the deciders of outcomes. And the worst part about polls is that they're more of they they look backwards instead of forwards. Mm -hmm. So when you when you do a poll and you ask the voters of Wisconsin an issue like, what do you or do you think critical rate? Do you think teaching critical race theory in schools is bad or good? You know, that's a question you're going to get in a Republican poll like. You're only going to get that question after millions of dollars of dark money has been spent or the, or all Republicans from the U.S. Senate to the House to our assembly, a state assembly, have all been told to talk about critical race theory uh, by the strategists who are like, we're going to create this issue to scare voters and to potentially flip school boards and make them political. All that information then gets into the brains of Wisconsin voters because it's a concerted effort to get in the brains of Wisconsin voters. And so you do a poll and you say, is critical race theory dangerous? Wisconsin voters are going to be like, oh, yeah, it's super dangerous because they've been hearing that it's dangerous for, you know, for a month, like ad nauseum. And so it's it's just uh, it's 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 psychological warfare. Uh, that if you repeat a message long enough, people will accept it as true. And it's scary because it's being used on Wisconsin voters, mostly by uh, conservatives in the Republican Party. Um, I'm not saying it's not used uh, by Democrats, but it's been mastered by the right. Well, and if, if anything, and you know, again, there's still just under six weeks left in the campaign, but if, if you were if you were a consultant, yeah, if you were advising Democrats, I think one of the messages, you usually the, the strategy is not to take the bait from the other side, stick to your own message. But if you were going to respond to something like this, heaven knows there's enough fodder already. Uh, and we talked a bit about this yesterday, that the people who are trying to scare you about crime right now haven't lifted a finger about gun violence. Um as I was reading, you know, yesterday from somebody, their their five year old had their first active shooter drill, you know, as a kindergartner, came home crying, 
sobbing, promising to be good so that nobody would hurt them. And that, you know, he'll hide really good mommy. And you, you just wish every Republican who has blocked any effort to solve the gun crisis in America could do something about those children because they sure as hell haven't done anything about all the children and adults who've been cut down by crime up until now. Fear-mongering is all they got. If they wanted to propose something, other than lock them up, that's always the proposal that's out there, you know, and more cops on the streets. But if, if they had actual solutions to crime, I think they would have shared them by now, but they don't. Yeah. And not even, I mean, I mean, we could, let's, let's, so you're talking about, uh, you're talking about, def, you're talking about projection and deflection, uh, uh, Pat. That's, that's what they use, a uh, fear tactics, but it's, it's deflecting against the fact that they're not offering any solutions themselves or that even more than not dealing with the gun issue, uh, folks like Ron Johnson and the slate of Republican senator, state senators and assemblymen have uh, not, uh, allocated enough resources to municipalities. Uh, they 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 cut. They say they're cutting taxes for the middle class. Uh, mainly, they're cutting taxes for the rich. But that money that they're cutting is not going, or just reallocated to the state and not to municipalities. It's not going to police and fire. Uh, it's also not going to uh, you know mental health services, which would also help reduce crime. So, so the. Uh, the aspect of crime, talking about crime, they're not only wrong on crime, and we can point to how they've how they've done things to actually increase crime, but it's also a deflection of. Let's talk about Ron Johnson. He was criminally uh, <laughs> like his uh, repeating of the big lie to potentially help overthrow our country, arguably was criminal. You know, I think, you know, Robin Voss has been subpoenaed because he was talking with Trump about ways to 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 overturn the election in Wisconsin. That's potentially criminal. So there's projection there as well as deflection. There's also projection of let's talk about crime. Let's let's accuse the Democrats of, of being bad on crime when we're actually doing criminal things. Right. I mean, it starts. I, I mentioned gun violence. You mentioned, you know, who's actually defunding the police. It's the, the party of austerity, mental health services, which would involve resources that currently go to sending an armed cop to every situation when it doesn't need it. So they've, they've taken the wrong approach there. Of course, you could talk about the root causes of crime having done nothing in the way of you know job creation, actual job creation, or in supporting the education and training that leads to jobs, which fights crime. All, all of these things are useful public policy. But again, you have to get out of campaign mode long enough to care enough to actually work on policy that way when, frankly, the, the only policy proposals we've seen are about how they can further rig elections, how they can further restrict voting. In other words, how they can stay in power and continue to do nothing. In our next hour, we will talk to State Representative Evan Goike, and uh, we will visit uh, briefly with Dr. Kristen Lyerly as well. And Kirk Bankstead will hang, hang around if he promises to sing more of the bumper music. Uh, we'll be back after our break at the top of the hour. You're up north. Kirk Bankstead, 
Ahmed is here with us as well. Uh, he didn't pick this song, but he might just as well have. Uh, Dr. Kristen Lyerly joins us for a few minutes as well. She's about to give a talk to a bunch of perinatologists, and it reminds me that last night I watched the brand new uh, stand-up routine from Patton Oswald on Netflix. I think it's called We All Scream. Patton Oswald basically giving the riff I would give you every morning about what it's like to grow old and literally be falling apart. At one point, he starts to ask the audience what they do and tries to make little comedy bits out of them. And he gets to like this peri perinatal neurologist or something like that who, who saves babies for a living and he looks right at her and says, that's comedy death. I can't make any, I can't make fun of anything that you do. You're saving babies' <laughs> lives. Goes to the next guy. What do you do? I prosecute sex offenders. Oh, let's talk for a while, shall we? So <laughs> you're talking to all these perinatal folks today because the comedians, they don't find any material in what you're doing today, Kristen. Oh my gosh. No, you know, it is such a privilege to be here. I'm in Green Bay at the conference for the Wisconsin Association for Perinatal Care and the Wisconsin Perinatal Quality Collaborative. These are the folks, lots of nurses, doctors, support staff that really are dedicated to making sure that we have excellent outcomes for moms and babies and families here in Wisconsin. Now, Kristen, uh, you have been, uh, I mean, you've, you've been kind of one of the biggest spokespeople for uh, what's happening in Wisconsin, uh, talking about how uh, reproductive rights have been taken away uh, from us. Um, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to be a member of the healthcare community, to be an OBGYN, to be a nurse, and to talk about this because hospitals have a lot of rules about, you know, kind of being out there and being kind of public and they don't want to be in the spotlight. Uh, what's, I mean, how are, I mean, how do you feel about how outspoken you've been? Well, first off, let's, let's make sure she lives by the credo. Nobody puts baby in a corner. So nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to tell her what she can and can't say. So with that setup, Kristen, why are you so brave and mouthy? Well, I am not working for a large hospital organization. I'm an independent contractor, and I'm also a spokesperson for the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, as well as Planned Parenthood when they need me. So I am not tethered the way that a lot of the docs who work for the Medical College of Wisconsin or the University of Wisconsin, they have to be really careful because of their institutional affiliations. And I understand that, but they do have things that they want to say and things that they want to share. And they do it as carefully and as boldly as they can, given the constraints that they have. Now, uh, I just wanted to, like, so you're so, way more positive than me generally, like, but, you know, even on a daily generally, basis. Generally, absolutely. When we, when we, like, you know, when we talk about stuff. So the, the Monaco Brewing Company Super PAC is, is starting to air some uh, advertisements in all these new rural stations that, you know, we started in Bull Falls. Uh, we're doing this pr pr in, in Wausau, but we're moving on to uh, Richland Center, Wisconsin Rapids, Hayward, Amory, a lot of rural parts of Wisconsin where we, that's the reason we started our, you know, show, uh, you know, a couple years ago, the Up North podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so while you're the voice of reminding people that folks like Jimmy Jimmy Boy Edmings in in Clark County won't will get reelected because the areas have been gerrymandered so wildly that there's nobody that's gonna no Democrats can win those seats, but those but guys like him are 
opposed to abortion uh, in all cases, including rape and incest, and you're reminding people that Tony Evers is the only person that will stand up for them in these very rural areas. And I thank you mm -hmm. for being the voice of those ads. Oh, thank you for letting me be the voice in those ads. Rural Wisconsin is my love. My favorite thing is to be out in some of these rural hospitals, helping people find the resources that they need, answering their questions so that they can live their best possible lives. And they are always the ones that get the short end of the stick. So to be able to be that voice on your behalf and encourage people to get out there and vote for Tony Evers, who, let's be very honest, Tony Evers is the person who will protect our reproductive rights here in Wisconsin. Tim Michaels has been very bold about saying he will not. We have got to reelect Tony Evers. We've got to reelect Attorney General Call. They are critical backstops for women and families in this state, especially in our vulnerable rural communities. So thank you, Kirk. Thank you for your investment. Well, and it's, it, it is a great investment and it is a great message because if somebody knows that their state senator or state assembly rep or whatever has no Democratic opponent, and that is the case in, in some districts, um, there may be write-ins, but in some cases there, there's no, they, they may think, well, you know, why bother? It's such a heavy Republican area. And as we say all the time, you can't gerrymander a state so that's why, you know, Democrats and progressives have won 11 of the last 12 statewide elections. So while you may not get a different legislator, you can at least maybe get a different U.S. senator and uh, and keep the governor that you like. Absolutely. You can. And we have to. We've got to get out and vote. Yep. So the rural Kristen, folks. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead, Kirk. Rural folk, rural folks in Wisconsin. Uh, Biden only won by 20,000 votes. Like every vote counts. And even if you've got a mm -hmm. ton of Trump signs and, and every single neighbor has got Trump signs and Michael signs, matter. your vote, your vote matters. And you can't feel overwhelmed by the fact you live in Trump country. You just got to get out there and vote. That's right. Every one of them matters. Mm -hmm. So th thank you for doing that. Go, go in and do your panel discussion and we'll, uh, we'll have a longer visit with you next week. Thanks guys. Have fun without me. Well, we Sad. never do, but we'll do our best. Thanks, Kristen. <laughs> uh, Bye. We'll, more with Kirk and then later, State Representative Evan Goyke. You're up north. Have, uh, both Joe Zapecki and Carolyn Fiddler as guests and that we will not have a live show on Friday or on the following Monday as we take a long weekend. So we'll get some best ofs, but tomorrow, Joe Zapecki and Carolyn Fiddler and uh, Mr. Mathers, what do, what do we know about some of the other fine radio shows coming up on this uh, ever growing network? Yeah, right at following this fine program on Bull Falls Radio and across the Civic Media Network and Amory and Richland Center. And then also on her flagship station, which she broadcasts from in the Shaw, uh, Kristen Bry for As Goes Wisconsin will have Greg Bach joining her. He joins every Wednesday. He's a comedian from the Milwaukee, Waukesha area. And so... He and Kristen will be going through kind of some of the Wisconsin headlines. There's a Milwaukee Comedy Festival that's coming up next week, so they're going to preview that event where I believe both of them will be doing stand-up or taking 
some form of participation in the the comedy event. Uh, I don't know the details, but if you tune into As It Goes Wisconsin, you can find them out uh, from 11 to 2 across Civic Media. And then uh, later today on Dueling Tangents, I'm going to be joined by Sean Fettaplace of the Main Street Alliance. And Sean's going to be talking to me about all of the great work he's doing for small businesses. We've got a couple of gubernatorial and U.S. Senate debates that are coming up, and he's trying to organize some roundtables as well with the candidates to be able to ask them questions about what they would do for small businesses. And so Sean's going to be joining me and William Walter, who will be filling in on Dueling Tangents over the long weekend on Friday and Monday, uh, will also drop by and we'll get a chance to talk to William, who will be filling in for me. And if you want to learn about this or anything else, go to civicmedia.us to learn about all the stations and shows that we do. All right, Mr. Bankstead, you you told us sometimes you get worked up and you get a little hot blooded. Uh, that's you know for to have you on for two hours for the first time uh, seems to underscore that yeah, there so, might be a need every so often to decompress. Yeah, totally. So I mean, I thought I always try to end with a little hope and a little what can we do? What you know? How can we try to be better in Wisconsin? And I I have fallen prey. I mean, I I am dealing with politics every day for the last two years um, with my company and with the Super PAC. And, you know, you make enemies if you're if you're battling every single day. Um, I I had a you know, and so and so, you know, sometimes you you say something you wish you could take back. Uh, Sometimes you're like, wait, I'm getting way too angry here. And I think um, that's unfortunately how politics has gotten. It's, it's, It's how politics has been for hundreds of years, let's be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, I recently, I, I ran against R- Rob Swearingen uh, for assembly uh, two years ago. Uh, his his uh, supper club, you know, he uh, he was anti-mask. Uh, there was a, uh, his server got COVID, gave it to her husband. Her husband died. We ran against on that issue saying I was pro-mask. He was anti-mask. There was uh, problems there. His supper club recently caught on fire. And uh, I in, internally... I, uh, I was like, man, like that's karma, you know, like the guy, you know, didn't care about his customers, but at, you know, externally I wrote that's karma <laughs> and I shouldn't have because, uh, because, you know, you don't want to kick a guy when he's down, uh, you know, his supper club just burned to the ground. So, uh, I, you know, that was a time where, where I let politics and I let my anger about what's going on in Wisconsin kind of, uh, overrun overrule uh what was right and so uh you know publicly i'd like to apologize for doing that but but i just wanted to acknowledge that we have to step away from politics to do and i see you sometimes pat you post yourself laying on the hammock uh, looking at lake wasoda uh because uh, you need to decompress as well and i think you do a better job uh, sometimes uh, what, do you, what do you do to get your mind off of this stuff man it, it's actually you know it's a very fair question for all of us for for anybody that's working in uh, media, in politics, anything adjacent to politics, anything where you're up to speed on current events, and I I say all the time that I I understand that most people aren't this tuned in to politics, and that that's not always a bad thing. I always wish more people were a little more tuned in than where they're at right now, but I don't expect anybody to be as dialed in as as the the narrow band of us that you know really feel passionate enough about this to to do it full time, whether in politics or journalism, political journalism, advocacy, whatever the case is. And in every one of those instances, you you have to have that backstop, uh, not just to support staff in the here and now, but what what my wife and I found is it it is always helpful to anticipate 
the next thing, the next moment, in our case, the next moment where you get to unplug and relax. When For the three years that we lived in Grand Cayman, and, and again, I'm very thankful that um, Ian wasn't worse, uh, and I hope, uh, I hope things weaken considerably before they get to Florida, but when, for those three years in Grand Cayman, we were essentially, a, in a way, we were like a refugee camp because we invited people to come down like the week after the election or the month after an election, and people took us up on it. And, you know, realize there's the, you know, the beach has magical healing powers and what, whatever it is ever since then, um, well, even prior to that for us, it was always anticipate something for after the election to decompress, because we've got to do this for 40 more days. I can do anything for 40 more days, but then after that, you have to have something to anticipate. So we've, we've got, you know, a little something planned. And, and then of course, I, I'd like to think I'm getting a little bit mellower with age now that I've got four grandkids. Um, but you know, so there's a little bit in the present, but I think you always have to have that thing in the future. That, that, that's my, my coping mechanism. I I don't know how yours would be different. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's taking breaks. Like, you know, we took a break in, in, in August. I, I need to take long breaks and I need to weirdly being by the ocean. Like you said, uh, I go surfing and I can't go surfing in Wisconsin very often, so that's probably why I get madder than I need to, because I only can go surfing when I leave for an extended period of time. But that's, you know, go to the water, chill out, you know, stop thinking about politics all, all the time. But you, Luke, you now you've taken on a talk show where you're talking about this for an hour every day. So now you've got to unplug. <laughs> yeah, uh, I find uh, nature. It doesn't necessarily always have to be water, but uh, part of what I'm doing this weekend, uh, getting away, I'm going to go to a nat- national park. I'm going to go stare at the night sky. I'm going to look at some, uh, typically it's mountains for me. I love the mountains, so I'm not going to quite get out to a mountain range, but I'm going to go see a lot of, uh, we're going out to the, the plain states. So I'm going to get some one with nature, do some hiking, get to see the, the night sky and breathe in a lot of fresh air. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it because that's what I'm using to, to recharge and, and get ready for this next final stretch. And I think there might be one other one other thing that I would in, encourage of folks. We've talked about ways to get away, to isolate with yourself. I think it's also important, even though we have people who are making terrible choices out there and, and supporting people who are making terrible choices, we still need to have that compassion and love for our neighbors as much as humanly possible. So I guess I would add as well the component of service. It's something I've kind of let lag lately, but I've gotten back involved with one nonprofit that's building tiny houses to to help uh, with the homeless community up here in the Chippewa Valley. Uh, I'm looking at joining a, a rotary club just for the service projects. So we can remember that we are one community that we can have disagreements, but that, you know, if we're not looking out for one another, you know, beyond those, then we're not being true to ourselves no matter what vacations we plan. Kirk, thanks so much. Appreciate it. See you next week. All right, man. Thanks. All right. Everybody else have a great day. We'll see you Thursday.